The Bite Goes On is up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. This week on the podcast, it's two stories about the origin of a pastry in Porto, Portugal. There are two fairy tales about it. So I'm going to sell you both and you can buy which one you want because (laughs) that's what I did as well. (laughs) Good. You decide which story you like better, plus a wine museum in Porto. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with my dear friend, Sondra Bernstein. We're here in Sonoma County, California, talking with, well, I'll let you do it. We're talking from, we're talking to Sarah from the heart of freedom in the United States, Portland, Oregon. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah Wiener, and uh, it's Wiener, right? Yep. Yeah. And um, from the Good Food Foundation, which used to be the seedling project, but we met years, years ago, um, maybe. So we won a Good Food Award. That's probably the year that we met for our COPA. We have never entered since because John did not want to not be a winner. He wanted to just go, I won this, I still have it. And so he just never wanted to enter again. Wait, wait, can you stop right there though? Can I ask a question? I'm wondering, so how do you win in, how do you win in, you just, you like send Sarah some copa in the mail? Like we'll do the whole process. We'll go through the whole process. Though I'm sure it's different now, but, um, we had Christian Renosa on a while ago, and he actually brought me in as a judge a few years ago. I was a pickle judge. So there are, and, and we talked about that on the show, but um, it's, I think you're, the Good Food Awards and Foundation and everything, it is a blessing to artisan food producers in the country. And I'll let you explain how, you know, you got started and like how, how you created this because like you were a slow food and then how do you decide one day you're going to be the best mouth for artisan food? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that you feel that way. And I'm so glad to hear that that's the reason you guys haven't entered anymore because you're like, we did it. We won. Yes, totally. (laughs) <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> They're out. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. The Good Food Foundation. Well, it was a little bit of a winding journey, um, but one that was, you know, has been so wonderful. Um, a- after college, I went to cooking school in Italy. Um, I And it was a school that was partly run by Slow Food, which was kind of what attracted me to it. Um, I considered like not going to college and just going to culinary school because like a lot of people who love food, you know, I really love food. Um, But um, ended up doing this course. And at the end of it, a couple people from Slow Food International from the main office, they came to the graduation because it was the first, we were the first class of four graduates of this new school. And, you know, we got to talking and I said, 
what I really want to do, you know, I'd, I'd worked on the line a little bit. I'd worked um, as a waitress a little bit in college as well. But what I really wanted to do was like what they were doing, like going out and like working with makers and like saving, you know, like helping to bring attention to amazing people working so hard, making incredible stuff that makes all of us, you know, so happy and joyful. And they said, oh, well, why don't you come intern at our office instead of just going to intern in a kitchen after, um, and I and I did do both, and it's obviously not just in a kitchen because that's how we make the food. Um, but so I interned at Slow Food International in um, Bra, uh, in, okay. uh, for a few months. I uh, then took a full time job there uh, in the Slow Food International office, and one day Alice Waters. Uh, Alice Waters showed up because she was uh, the vice president of the International. And um, everyone knew, like every two of the 200, you know, however many 200 colleagues I had knew that she was my hero. I had like even written about her in my college entrance essay. Um, and so they said, hey, we have a surprise for you. You know, there's this big dinner that was literally in the ruins of Pompeii because this is like slow food and somehow they managed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you're gonna be her translator. Um, so I got to meet her that, 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 that evening and over the course of you know, subsequent visits, um, got to know her a little bit and one day she just said, hey, I want you to come to Berkeley and be my assistant. Wow. Yeah which was amazing and, you know, crazy when you're, you know, living in Italy, which is also pretty, you know, <laughs> but at first, it, you know, we talked about it. It wasn't quite the right time. I was in the middle of some projects, but one day I woke up in the, you know, at like four in the morning and I was like, actually, I think there were curse words in my head. I was like, what am I doing? Like, I need to be working with Alice for Alice Waters. <laughs> with your hero. Exactly. Oh my God, what a great mentor. But what did that mean exactly, come be my assistant? Did that mean come be my sous chef? Or does that mean be, you know, use some administrative stuff going on? Like, what does that exactly entail? Great question. Um, it was uh, totally out of the kitchen and in the office full time. And um, I had never imagined myself as, you know, uh, like one day I'll be an assistant to someone, even someone wonderful. But I think that's where having an open mind and like following the people who have, who you admire, like really ended up doing me well, doing well by me because I got to learn so much. Um, so I was, you know, in the office, she had two assistants. I also learned tremendously from her other assistant, Sylvan Brackett, who now has an amazing restaurant in San Francisco, um, Rintaro. But I just got to communicate with all the people in her network. So, you know, all these people I'd read about, they just call up the office and I was like, wait, you're Ruth Rachel? Like that's this person on the line. Um, and it didn't matter what I was doing. It was like, I got to understand how Alice moved in the world just by the proximity just by kind of like osmosis of seeing it happen um and uh it was so uh foundational to kind of everything everything that the good food foundation does um that and seeing kind of how slow food international works and just takes care of people and combines work with pleasure uh, in a really beautiful way it's kind of like you know the devil wears prada but like 
the positive side. <laughs> it totally is like that. In fact, the, the angel uses butter or something. I don't know. <laughs> yes. I've even, yeah. When I saw that movie, I kind of had a fantasy like, oh, I should write a book one day about being Alice, you know, working with Alice and um, all the peculiarities. Even that's a good title, Working with Alice. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but you know, it's it's really really fascinating because, as like just part of the public or whatever, I mean, um, you see everything that she does, and you're like, how is it even possible that a person can be so connected and have an incredibly successful restaurant that doesn't really work in the restaurant per se? Um, and is making so much impact. I mean, she found a way to, you know, make herself an expert of so many things. And I'm, I'm glad that you got that opportunity. I mean, the alumni that comes from any of her stuff is just unreal. I mean, I love seeing people and they go, oh yeah, we started at, you know, I started at Shape and East. And, yeah. I know, and how many times does that come up when we're talking to people in the industry of, oh yeah, and then I worked at Shape and East, and we're like, yeah, mm -hmm. another <laughs> one. <laughs> I agree, it's like, uh, it's almost unfathomable. I think someone did a study of like the alumni of Shape and East, and there's something crazy like 400 or 600 restaurants, like farm to table wow. restaurants. <laughs> started there yep. that's um, fabulous so how did you uh how long did you do that for two years two, okay that's a good amount of time yeah and, yeah and you're like okay gotta spread my wings and then did you jump right into the seedling project then oh, or it all sort of like unfolded as if it was supposed to happen that way. Um, so the next thing that happened is, uh, you know, while I was Alice's assistant, we were at a slow food event in France and it was modeled after, after the Salone del Gusto in Italy. So like the biggest- Was it the Salon de Agriculture? It was called um, Origine de Goût. Um, okay. And I'm not sure if they still do it, but Alice was, we were walking around and Alice said, this is like so great. They just took a concept that really worked in Italy where they made it and they made it their own. Like, why, why don't we do something like that in America? Like, we don't have to reinvent a whole new system. Let's take something that's working and make it our own. Mm -hmm. So that was the um, origin of the idea for Slow Food Nation in 2008. Um, and from that moment forward, I, I helped her first as her assistant and then as the first um, kind of staff person uh, of Slow Food Nation to kind of create that event that um, eventually came together a couple years later with like 85,000 people in front of, you know, San Francisco City Hall. And that's wow. where I learned, A, like how complicated nonprofit <laughs> running, like creating nonprofits can be, but also like some event production. It was kind of my first introduction into that world. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I, I was like, you know what? That was like two and a half years, the hardest two and a half years of my life, you know, raising hundreds of thousands of dollars. And um, also just like creating something from nothing and just an idea. And um, so I was like, I need a sabbatical. I don't know what I need to do. I'm like 26 or something or eight at this point. But I was like, I need to get away. <laughs> oh, God. So I moved to um, England uh, 
I asked Alice to introduce me to three people. One was the, the wonderful ladies at the River Cafe. Oh, love that place. Right? So special. I love that place. Oh, God. And one was Patrick Holden, at, who was at the time at the um, Soil Association, um, mm -hmm. which is England's like biggest organic certifying body. And they mm -hmm. do a lot of advocacy as well. And we just hit it off right away. And he was like, look, we're doing an organic food festival. That's kind of um, our event producer dropped out. It was right during like the financial crisis, like, but it sustains these, you know, 200 organic farmers for a lot of them. It's like the biggest selling day of the year. Can you help, you know, given your events background and, oh, and he was like, and by the way, I need someone to take on the financial responsibility. Soil Association can't be financially responsible. <laughs> and I was like, I think I can help, but definitely can't take on the financial responsibility. But I know someone who might be able to, and I called the event producer from Slow Food Nation, an amazing man, Dominic Phillips. And he told him the story. I was like, we're not gonna get paid, you know, like if we succeed, then maybe there's a little extra, but like, we did, you know, we just let's try to save this thing. Are you interested? And he said, Bristol, England? I love Bristol, England. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> literally, he had no questions. <laughs> um, and he helped uh, put together that event. It was great. And then he told me later, you know, the reason that he was so ready, one of the reasons he was so ready to jump in is that he wanted to come together and form our um, a new nonprofit um, and do more of the kind of work we've done with Slow Food Nation, and that's how Seedling Projects was born. Mm. That's kind of um, the genesis. Did you ever hit up Prince Charles for some money? Well, we did. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous. He's but... kidding, but this is no. <laughs> I mean, he was really a big proponent of slow food and organic farming, and so I just wondered if, like, you could actually reach out to him and say, "Hey, we're doing this cool thing. Why don't you give us some gold or something?" That sounds crazy, but it's not crazy. Um, and he was involved in some of our projects and yeah. actually came in person to a subsequent event I worked on with Patrick Colden um, in Washington, D.C. And he let us bring like funders to High Grove to, to visit while we were there. But so far as I know, he, you know, we haven't hit him up for any gold. Of, of you know any of the, the royal treasures <laughs> and then sarah wh when did you learn to speak italian this is actually a funny story so in college i took um some italian and did a study abroad in siena but i was really really bad like i was the worst in the class and um you know lived with an italian family but couldn't speak much italian and i um ended up learning more when i went back to cooking school and then um, you know, lived there for a couple years, but I st still have this fantasy of returning to my host mother in Siena and actually speaking <laughs> Italian to her. <laughs> she was so patient with me. <laughs> Where are you originally from? St. Louis, Missouri. Wow. Wow. And where did you go to college? Uh, Dar Dartmouth College. Dartmouth. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. So from, from there, you're in Bristol. You're living in Bristol? Yeah, I lived in Bristol. How far is that from London? I think it was a couple hours on the okay. train. Yeah. Okay. And is it like a like countryside, like really rural or I've never been there. 
It's actually a very, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite, or it's not as big, of course, as London, but it's a pretty good sized city. Um, it has beautiful architecture. It's um, Georgian, a lot of old Georgian mansions and then also Victorian houses. Um, and it has a, a river, Q-U-A-Y, they call it, Q-U-A-Y. <laughs> um, but it has a sad, a very sad history. The reason it has such beautiful Georgian mansions, it, is a, it was a really important port in the slave trade. Um, so there's that very sad history there. Um, but um, one nice thing is that there's a really uh, strong Jamaican community there. Um, and that was uh, really neat to, to get to know. And, you know, just to be there was great. It also, it's where Banksy is from, the artist. So oh, wow. A, yeah. A lot of really cool graffiti um, and a strong like music scene, kind of like an underground punk thing and great food. So it was fun. Very cool. Graffiti and dance hall. Sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and Sarah, is, are the people in Italy, are they the worst drivers on the planet? <laughs> that's such a good, that's a good question. I was so, you know, I drive in America, but I refuse to drive in Italy. I was like this. I, I think they're insane. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I remember driving from, I think, Rome to Naples. And in Naples, it was the worst. It was like, who, it, it was just insanity. We, that's when I, I learned to speak a little bit of Italian because I knew that we were eventually going to get in an accident. And I was at least going to try and communicate that I'm sorry, please don't <laughs> take us to jail or something. Because they don't obey any laws. <laughs> that just sounds about right. <laughs> Especially Naples. That's crazy. Fearless. Fearless. Well, that's what it was. Whoever was going to go, whoever had the ganas, that yeah. was who had the right away. <laughs> it was crazy. Oh, my goodness. So where, where does this, where does the journey continue? Well, let's see. So we made seedling projects. Um, we started on a couple different projects at that time to start with. Like our idea was let's let's be like a do tank for the food movement. Like there are so many good ideas. There were are you know so many good ideas out there that we didn't feel like what the world needed was more people to think through the solutions to the problems. We're like they've thought of the solutions and we need people to make them, bring them to life. Right. Um, so that's kind of the idea beside behind seedling projects um, and seeds and growing, but what one of the very first projects was the Good Food Awards. Um, and it was actually inspired by when I was living in England and I made friends with, a, um, I befriended a owner of a really beautiful little grocery store. And I saw like on his shelf, there was a jam that had a like gold sticker on it that said like Great Taste Award winner. Oh. And he saw me looking at it and he said, oh, if it has that sticker, it flies off the shelf. And I thought, huh, people do love the best of the best, you know? It's a way to hone in on something. And I thought, why can't we use that kind of public behavior and interest in as a tool to drive people to the right stuff that's going to make the world a better place and that they're going to love? Mm -hmm. um, and when, when Seedling Projects began, I... Um, called upon some of the collaborators that had helped make Slow Food Nation happen, mm -hmm. particularly the like artisan, uh, like food pavilion part. Mm -hmm. 
So we talked about the idea and like everybody was in, everybody said, yes, like we'd love to, you know, be a part, help guide those first categories. We started with just seven. Um, and from I the beginning. Oh, it, yeah. it has grown. It sure has. We have 17 now. It's like That's so amazing. many. <laughs> wait, how did, how did you decide on that first seven? Well, there were a couple guidelines we had. Like the first thing is we wanted it to be like real food. Like we were more interested in something like, um, you know, cheese and charcuterie than in things like, you know, drinks, you know, or, you know, special packaged drinks and other things that we felt like people could either more easily make at home or um, just maybe there are better options that they should, you know, maybe we wanted to, we wanted to direct people to like real food that worked for the foundation of cooking and um, snacking. And so that was one thing. The second thing is that we wanted everything to be um, value added foods. So mm -hmm. nothing fresh because we wanted the award to help build uh, you know, a market, a wider market for these products. And we thought if it's like, you know, a bread or if it's the best apple, those things shouldn't really be shipped all right. around. Right. Um, but if it's a cheese or if it's a um, beautiful oil, um, those things, we, it makes a lot of sense for it to have a wider market. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third thing was that Honestly, I feel everything is so people related. Um, I thought about like who are the collaborators from Slow Food Nation that I thought would be amazing at this and would be excited to do it. Um, so like Sue, Sue Conley and Peg Smith were our first cheese committee chairs. Mm -hmm. And they just have such deep ties in that community and such knowledge and such generosity of spirit that I knew or I felt you know, if they were on board, like we would create an amazing cheese category that immediately had the trust of the cheese community mm -hmm. um, and what had the correct guidelines and, you know, was thoughtful. And so uh, it was very people based, like who are the people we worked with that have that trust in the community. So we could really get this off the ground rather with trust from within the artists and industries and not just Oh, some lady in San Francisco came up with this idea. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I thought was so wonderful about this is that, you know, the Fancy Food Show, which is, you know, Brian and I actually we recorded a bunch of episodes there a couple years ago, two years ago, I guess. Seems and like a decade ago, Sandra. I know, it, it really does. <laughs> but what was fascinating, like I would go to the Fancy Food Show for years and years to see what the trends are, to see what is changing in packaging and design and flavors and just flavor trend. And, you know, even though that wasn't it wasn't going to change what I was doing in the restaurant, but I really wanted to feel connected to what was happening in food. And it did always feel very, very overwhelming. Um, you know, love the international side of things where you could go and not a lot of people spoke English. Very few people had distributors. It was going to be like once in a lifetime tasting sometimes because they might not be back the next time. A lot of commissions bringing people. And, um, you know, overwhelming in the sense that for the most part, things were very mass produced. Um, you know, very commercial, very deep with distributors. And, you know, we, we had a booth one year 
And I think we did the, the Fancy Food Show in New York one year. We did it one or two. We used to do it for the Valley Fig Growers in their booth. They would let us be there and, and get people, which was awesome. But it was like so overwhelming and not very personal. Um, you know, there's personal stuff happening. You make relationships year after year, but it's just so overwhelming. And I think it takes food from you know, the heart of how it's made and the story, and it just makes it into industry. And I think the Good Food Awards has like, and foundation and merchants, and you've really been able to keep it, not necessarily that every producer is small, but that there's an artisan producer and they're hands-on and they're, you know, they have that story that you really want to hear about and you can almost see faces behind the products. Mm -hmm. And I think it's been an incredible, you know, and I, and I found that very interesting seeing what new products were coming there, mm -hmm. you know, and how people were able to do, you know, make a business. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, I think it's so fabulous. I know you've given so many people a start and when we had the fig pantry, which was our deli, um, we, I would definitely, we had Kika's treats and there were so many people that I found through the Good Food Awards that I was like, I need to have all these products. They're not in Safeway, you know, they're not readily available. And it's interesting because I am ordering during COVID, I have found myself ordering specialty food direct from the place like merrily i just got another order of preserved farm jams uh -huh. jams are amazing i uh -huh. mean really amazing yesterday i got an order from jasper even though i'm like not eating a lot of dairy but jasper sellers there's the cheese oh my god these cheeses are like to die for yeah. and then i got mama Fuko's chili crunch uh -huh. i ordered that directly from um david chang's uh peachy keen whatever because just listening to him on a podcast talk about like what how he puts it on his eggs i was like i have to have this but it's interesting like you know these are connections that are made through listening to conversations or um I don't know. And I mean, even organizations like yours where, you know, you're really putting things out in front of people and really helping them kind of being a, a marketing department really mm -hmm. on the good seal award, which mm -hmm. is so cool. So well, you guys, for, for people that have never heard of the good food foundation, can you sort of explain what it is exactly that you do? Yeah. Good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, um, we basically try to give a platform to great food producers, and the and and the goal is that by focusing on that kind of chain in the food system, we are also able to really support farmers um, because food producers are the ones making these wholesale orders from the farmers. Mm -hmm. um, but everything we do require you know involves a set of guidelines. So, and I think maybe this ties back also to Sandra's point about um, how the Fancy Food Show has evolved and become really big and really a diversity, you know, of 
different kinds of people that you find there. There's a lot of mass produced stuff. And, and if you look real hard, you can find some gems to, you know, some smaller um, companies and more artisan as well. But um, from the very beginning, we put in very stringent guidelines that were developed from within the industry. So Sue and Peg were the first ones to propose how the cheese guidelines should be. Um, so every single cheesemaker that applies to the Good Food Awards or is part of any of our other programs has to certify like I do X, Y, Z, you know, A, B, and C. And they're guidelines that to us define what good food means because good food both it's, you know, deliciousness, but it's also a thoughtfulness around how you're treating everyone, a thoughtfulness around the impact of what you're doing. You're, you know, your eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours a day you're putting into your work. Like how is that affecting your community? How is that affecting the earth? You know, how is that supporting, um, you know, supporting local farmers or, or the opposite, like, you know, not supporting local farmers. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the foundation of, you know, the Good Food Awards. And it has also become, uh, besides the Good Food Awards, we have about four different key programs. Um, so the Good Food Awards is what we're most well known for. Um, and it's the most public of our programs and it's kind of built the foundation to be able to do a lot of other things to help small food producers and um, independent retailers um, and the other programs we have we have something called the good food guild so we have mm -hmm. over 400 us uh, you know artists and food producers in that guild from all over the country wow. um, and through that we're able to sort of connect people um, as well as give them you know have a directory of them so if you're a small ice cream maker and we don't have an ice cream category you can still be on the good food guild directory and we know that different buyers are using that um, to source things that meet the kind of guidelines that the good good food foundation stands for um, as well as offering you know specials for like compostable products or other kind of discounts on things that they might like then we have the good food mercantile which is sort of our answer to the fancy food show is a much, we call it an untrade show. It's like um, <laughs> all of the, you know, a lot of things that most people associate with a trade show, we have removed and we have added in some really fun, wonderful, like, it, you know, relationships. And um, it's a totally different scale. We have more like, 100 to 170 makers and 300 to 600 or 700 buyers will come through um, but what people tell us and what makes me really happy is um, sometimes people will makers will do both the fancy food show and the good food mercantile which is great because we put them near the same time of year um, so people can really get the most out of their trip um, and they're reaching different people and um, we think they're very synergistic um, but Two thirds of the makers uh, who answered our, you know, survey about it said that they actually made more um, buying connections at the Good Food Mercantile, even though it's so small. Um, just it's very targeted in who we attract. We're really focused on like the relationships rather than like like the quality rather than the quantity of relationships. Um, I do want to say here, like, I think the work of the Specialty Food Association, I know they're like more than 75 years old. We're just 10 years old. We're newbies. And like what they've done over the decades has paved the way um, for what we're able to do and for what, you know, so many people are able to do, um, which is, you know, a wonderful well, thing. Yeah, and there's a place for both. I mean, you know, I think a need for both more than just yes. a place. Yeah. Now, can, Sarah, can I put you on the spot and, and 
for for the first year you had seven categories can you tell us the categories and the winners for each category <laughs> the I first can, I, I, year yeah oh my god <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> that's that's a great question. I think I can tell you the seven categories. I won't, the, the winners, there were 72 winners the first year, but okay. the seven categories are um, cheese, beer, okay. pickles, preserves, chocolate, charcuterie, and coffee. Now, uh, how did pickles make it into that group? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love amazing. pickles, but you're talking about you're talking about cheese, beer, like, and then pickles. Like, that just seems odd. <laughs> is it is it sort of like the art of fermentation kind of thing? Like, I mean, does kimchi like make it into that category, or it's just pickles? Kimchi makes it in, so okay. it, it's like a broader art of fermentation. You know, we kind of okay. break break it out into the vinegar and the lacto fermented um, when right. we do the tasting. Um, Okay. I think no. Could I have tasted a hundred different pickles or fifty different pickles? Definitely. Easily. Easily. <laughs> and there was kimchi. There was like those sea beans. Somebody made these sea beans that were delicious. I had the most healthy gut <laughs> after that tasting. I was like, oh my God. But fascinating. It was like really cool. Good. Were there some spicy ones, Sandra? Was there some hot ones? No, there was everything. I don't, honestly, I hate to even admit this, I don't think I had kimchi before that day. I do not think I had tasted it. And then I know I was buying kimchi afterwards because I was like, this is fascinating. And now, now we make kimchi, which is pretty funny. But um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was so cool. There's, um, and I was looking at Instagram. So this year you had to do it virtually, I guess, where, talk about organizing something crazy, sending everybody out samples. Oh my God. Yeah, it was quite different this year. Um, and we, we actually, you know, considered Mm, does it make sense to do the Good Food Awards this year, given, you know, we'll have to rethink everything and a lot of producers, you know, struggling. And then we realized kind of what you said, Sandra, which is that people are buying more than ever mm -hmm. and in a good way, because no longer, you know, I think last year the statistics said like people spent 50% of their um, food budget on restaurants and we're spending 50% in groceries and now people are going out so much less um, which means they're spending much more percentage on groceries mm -hmm. and we and a lot of more willingness and awareness you know to support local makers um, mm -hmm. and quality in the sort of ways that we define it kind of seeing headlines and much more big media around like the problems with industrial meat system and other kind of you know issues that supporting local and independent and great food makers um, really solves um, so we thought actually it's more important than ever to help direct people uh, to who, who those makers are mm -hmm. And I have to give all the credit to my team. We have like uh, six amazing, amazing, they're all women, so six amazing women <laughs> um, who pretty much problem solved and thought up every piece of it. But the very interesting part, so usually we'll have everything shipped to a warehouse mm -hmm. and then we'll have all, you know, we'll go to the warehouse, we'll sort through it, and then it will be, you know, delivered into like our location. But this year, <laughs> 
<laughs> not only could we not bring together the two, you know, 250 judges in one location, but it turns out where we were planning to kind of do all the sorting, the last minute, the city of San Francisco said like, uh-uh, you can't have like 20 people in a room that size to do the sorting. Oh my goodness. So my, our, our managing, uh, uh, managing director, she's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have the food go to our, you know, six different team members and the two entrance house directly. All the producers are going <laughs> to, so they're like apartments are like piled, high, like <laughs> 10 feet high with these boxes and they're, they're like sorting things out and, oh and we did yeah, like curbside pickup for all the judges. So depending which category you are, you would go to a different team member's house to pick up your box. And it's oh. <laughs> so you had to keep the judges very, very local this year. Yes. Yeah. That was a big change. It was yeah. all, local. Mm. all local. Well, San Francisco, we have good taste. Great. We, got, yeah. we had a lot. We still had a lot of amazing people to choose. <laughs> exactly. Wow. I remember then, being a, sorry, I was going to say, I, it just reminds me of, I was on a Zoom with Esther Mobley, the wine writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, and in the background, you can see boxes of wine stacked up all <laughs> over the place, because someone had somehow found her address, and so then people just started sending her wine. I can imagine being, like, you're surrounded by pickles for, for yes. two weeks. <laughs> you're, like, making your coffee table out of boxes. Yes, and like to me, that's like a dream come true. But I also know, like, <laughs> that's what like, I said, and she yeah. was like, "No, this is a nightmare." Yeah. <laughs> yes, it can be overwhelming. I know it can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, so then, how did did you actually do? So for the when the judges were tasting, do they just do evaluations and then send it into you, or are you actually doing something where you're seeing them do the tasting? Oh yeah, great question. So we thought it was really important. One thing about the normal year Good Food Awards is that there's just a really wonderful spirit of camaraderie and there's discussion around the different products um, and, and the judges get to learn from each other and each other's backgrounds and, you know, expertise and tastes um, as part of the process. And some of the processes like are not, you know, the second round is you just write your own evaluation quietly without being influenced but we wanted to keep some of that camaraderie um and so we did all the tastings over zoom wow and in you know in the morning everyone in a certain category would come together on it was on the same zoom and got the same instructions and then we had breakout rooms so each judge was in like we called them pods pods of three judges and they each had their own they had the same boxes those three judges would have the same box of samples at home and we had to switch it was actually a great kind of thing that we had to switch from paper forms which we've always used in the past to mm -hmm. everyone doing sort of an online scoring um, because it allowed us to collect feedback um, like qualitative feedback that we can now give to the makers Mm -hmm. um, whereas when we have like you know 2,000 sheets of paper it was very hard to, to uh -huh. buy it in a, uh -huh. in a good way um, so that's something maybe we'll keep into the future yeah now wait did, did were the awards already announced for this year Ooh, good question no they're gonna be announced mid-november okay can you um, give it no you you're probably not good. Can you give us one? <laughs> give us one that we can go get before it's all sold out somewhere. <laughs> That's such a good question. There are so many, you know, last year we had 200 winners. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of stuff, um, like amazing stuff. And 
to be totally fair, like honest, I'm not even at this point, the one looking through all the scores and figuring out who won. So I can't um, break my own rules and tell you, but, but I can put you on the list to get the finalist release. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the and also the samples would come blind so you didn't get to see the labels you didn't know i mean so it'd be like a blind wine tasting but blind food which i think is so important because well i i certainly buy from my eyes labels graphics you know somebody could be a really good artist and then the food could be terrible on the inside you know so I think it and then you know people and you have relationships so I think it's really good that it's done that way um, some producers are unique enough where you can actually tell whose it is because mm -hmm. they you know do it so unique to their product that if you know a lot of product you could figure out who it is but i think that was really good and then i think the next at some point did did you did the judges see who it was as it got further along great question so we do um allow if the judges taste something they just like love um, they can note down the code and we will tell them what it is like the next week they can email it to us uh -huh we want to support like some of the judges are grocers some of the judges are chefs like you know like you and um some of the judges just want to buy that thing and that's awesome even if the producer doesn't win if they get you know some other kind of benefit uh we think that's great but we don't reveal who any of the producers are throughout the whole day mm -hmm. um to any of the judges um yeah and i think what you said is true like um i love that it's blind because you can really hone in and then it's so interesting to see when it when the winners come out and when we do the ceremony and see all the products at the end like some of the products are like beautiful slickly packaged you know i would have grabbed it on the shelf and some of them are so you know like totally homemade you know different stage of the business didn't work with the designer and it's awesome that they're all together and they're all like colleagues and that they're all put on level footing, even if someone might be a $5 million company and some might be, I just started six months ago and haven't, right. you know, th this year, you know, we do, I, I think it's wonderful. We have like 80% of the makers we work with, you know, who enter the Good Food Awards make less than $250,000 a year. It's mm -hmm. like the size of the company. Mm -hmm. um, then we do go up to, you know, there's some breweries that are $6 million and cheese makers that are more in the five or $6 million a year businesses. Mm -hmm. um, we decided in the very beginning, and this was a decision made by that first group of, you know, um, we call them the chairs of each committee, what like what Christian was for pickles and what Sue and Peg were for cheese. They're like, if everyone is playing by the same rules that they have to meet certain sustainability criteria and if, whoever rises to the top and taste, I think they were like, we think it's wonderful if some big companies are in there and they can be asked, you know, inspirations. And mm -hmm. you can see that it can be done in different ways and with different models. Um, but, you know, everyone's playing by the same rules. Mm -hmm. So cool. Sandra, I have, so this is one of my favorite photos is from when we had the Sonoma Brinery on and I took uh, pictures of the pickles. Yeah. Pickles yeah. are very photogenic. 
that is, that's a very cool picture. I don't know why, but there, I just love, I had that as my like screensaver for a long time. I just, oh my God. It, and he's it so made my mouth too. water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's funny because this area, you know, the, the West Coast and even New York and, you know, some areas there, I mean, we're so tuned into these products. You know, like there's really a yearning to find, um, you know, small produced, um, you know, things that are just not commodities. And I think that when you look at all the entries that you get every year, I mean, they're from all over the country. I mean, this is a chance for people in, you know, small towns doing what they love to do to be able to bring it to the forefront where they may not have the ability to really show, you know, their product to someone who actually can influence, you know, buying of it. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's baked into the whole way we do the awards is this idea that like, we're not interested, we were never interested in giving award, you know, showing the world like, these are the best cheeses overall. Like we were really interested in helping food communities grow across mm -hmm. the country. Um, and because of that, we only allow three winners per region of the country for each category. So like maybe the top 20 cheeses were all made in California or all made in Wisconsin or all made in, you know, upstate New York, but only three of them will be named good food award winners and then the top three cheeses made in the southern region are going to be named good food mm -hmm. award winners the top three in the midwest because you know it's that's not our goal our goal isn't really to say like for all those people who love food these are the very 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 best right. and go buy them it's really right. to help food communities grow mm -hmm. and i also think it's so much more interesting to be able to taste okay what are the southern winners tasting like you know, how are the regional differences playing out? Um, and, you know, it's so much more interesting when people are flying in from Tennessee and people are flying in from North Dakota and people are flying in from everywhere. And they get to, in some cases for the first time, connect with other people who are doing the same thing with the same ethos, you know, because um, we have such a vibrant food community, you know, in the Bay Area or in Portland or in New York where you can connect with people. But for some of these people in other parts of the country, there's not nearly as many people that they can just easily find. And I think it's really meaningful, you know, and, and potentially, you know, relationships that grow over time um, to connect with, with, their, with their counterparts. Yeah, and I think, one of the years I went to Fort Mason, um, I, and I feel like it was in January. It was like after the awards were announced, they go for a couple days. And is that right? On the weekend after? Yep. Yeah. And it you could tell, you know, and actually what I really noticed is there were neighboring tables that were so engaged with each other, like thinking that like they had a chance to see someone that, like you're saying, does what they do in a different region and they were able to make these connections. And that was really kind of cool to see. It was cool how people set up their booths and you know, how creative they got. 
what do you have like a couple like real success stories that like come to mind that um you know people that maybe got their start from good food uh-huh great question well something that came to mind as you were talking about it is a maker of uh, peanut oil in georgia mm. and he I'll never forget it because, you know, his, his, he and his family live in a rural, more rural part of Georgia. He says there's one stoplight. Um, and uh, they actually, he, his wife and their two daughters drove to San Francisco across the country to be part of the Good Food Awards. Um, and he makes beautiful peanut oil with from peanut seed grows and peanuts from a, from a, you know surrounding farmers and some other nut oils as well and um, honestly like it's just such an amazing product and he's a very charismatic person so I not you know I think without the Good Food Awards he would have done just fine but it was very wonderful to see I saw like Kim Severson wrote a whole article about them in the New York Times a couple of years ago and just to see to see people kind of take off that way um there's another uh I believe it was a cider maker uh, from Vermont who kind of mentioned that at one of the Good Food Award celebrations, Tina Uljaki, a really wonderful journalist um, from, I think she was at Food and Wine, before, you know, a couple years ago, kind of came by the booth, tasted it, wrote about it, and then he said, you know, they their sales like quadrupled. Um, for their like, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> scary. <laughs> um, from that one thing, and in a jam, I think one of the first years, um, oh. one, and she said that she had been calling um, Whole Foods buyers in uh, Oakland or in San Francisco. You know, one of the two that she was trying to expand into, and she'd been calling them for months and not gotten a return call. And the day after she was announced a finalist, they called her. Uh-huh. Daphna, I tried to get her on the podcast and she's like, no, I'm too shy. Oh, <laughs> so I, know, I, I know her story is amazing. Amazing. And her jams are amazing. We actually, um, we would make some of our shrub in-house, but it's honestly so much easier to just order her fake shrub. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, that's where, that's that right. Is, yeah, exactly. But um, I know. And so I have another question. Maybe you've already done this is you don't, do you have an online store where you have like subscriptions to people that have come through or the guild or? Great question. Well, we, usually do a pop-up Good Food Awards marketplace in January, which I think is what you were talking about in at Fort Mason Center that you attended one year. But this year, since we don't want to do any in-person events, we are going to do a pop-up online marketplace. And it will be the first time that people can buy from multiple Good Food Award winners with a single, you know, checkout. Mm -hmm. um, so we're really excited about that. And it's going to be a, a two-week pop-up awesome but if it goes really really well you know maybe it's something we could um build and invest in in the future yeah oh i think it would be phenomenal and um 
I get, are you a 501c3? Yes. Okay. So yeah, that kind of adds the layer of, I guess, not having, can you have a store or you have yeah. to do it separately? Um, we can have a store uh, so much as I'm aware of. <laughs> uh -huh. no, I, you know, you probably can. Yeah. Um, um, but but we, we've done a, a fair amount of research just this year since COVID into e-commerce and it's so complicated and it's so different from what we actually do, you know, or know um, that we're, we're curious to see how it goes because perhaps it's worth investing in the infrastructure, but it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars to build an e-commerce platform. And we work with a lot of really amazing retailers, independent retailers, like, you know, Byright and Singerman's and, uh, palace market and we don't want to you know whatever we want to do we want to support them right. and you know be synergistic yeah. yeah yeah we um so you know interestingly so we have our which i don't know if i entered them i think we just did the copa because that was so handmade i don't think i entered the jams or maybe i, I can't even mm -hmm. remember but our line, you know, small produce, 220 cases at a time. We have a co-packer now. But, you know, when I, when we were doing the food show, we, you know, started small and then we had a broker and then we ended up with a national salesperson and then we had distributor, Cheeseworks on both sides of the country was doing our distribution for us. And we were losing money every every year every year didn't matter even when we did three hundred thousand in sales we were still losing money and it was a time when fortune small business magazine was doing these kind of makeovers or stories like if you want to get to the next level or you've got a problem and here's some experts that are going to help you fix it so we we they asked if what they could do a story and luckily for the most part it was like how do we go from zero to ten mm -hmm. uh, rather than like fixing all our problems but they sent clark wolf was one of the advisors um ed levine from um vine connections was the financial guy um and i can't remember the woman who was for specialty food she's a specialty food consultant but what ended up happening is she's like, you need to get out of distribution. You, you're never going to make money. You need the margins and the slotting and, you know, all of these things are just not, you know, unless you're going to make this your full-time, you know, concentration business, you need to. And the year, so, I mean, we had a great salesperson, but we're like, really sorry. We went to just a broker, just local, wholesale direct. Mm -hmm. And our sales are, you know, probably a hundred thousand, but we make a little bit of money. And it's really, you know, it's, it's not the top line, it's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people want to get that visibility and want to get out there. But at the same time, if you can't be profitable, um, you know, what is the point, really? That is such <laughs> an illuminating story. And I think it is something a lot of makers should yeah. face you know or are facing which is in our culture 
there's a lot of messaging around getting bigger yes. and that's like better without, with no subtlety. Mm -hmm. um, and I think so often in food, that is not better. It's not better for the maker. It's not better for the world. And um, like going all the way back to like your fundamental assumptions, um, you know, about what you're trying to do with, you know, I think that's so smart. And like, yeah. there's a right size for every business mm -hmm. and not all businesses, you know, and that right size isn't mega, even if you have right. like all, you know, even if the, you have the most amazing things. And in fact, like it's not better for the world if right. there are just, you know, um, yeah. I think, I think that's so interesting. And I think, um, I think the finances of food production are so hard. So hard. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, over the years, there's less, you know, we, we made our product originally, then we got a very small co-packer who basically said, you know, Sandra, you need to take this back because it costs me more to clean the machines than it does to make your 12 cases today. And I don't want to raise your prices because you're not going to be able to sell it. So take it back to your kitchens, do it. So took it back. And our thing has always been supply and demand. You know, if we're selling it, then we need more. Then we ended up, we had a, another co-packer who was doing still small, you know, a couple hundred cases at a time. And we would be there at the runs and making sure it tasted right. And, you know, that whole thing. But it was... It, you know, it costs a lot of money and then you have to really push and sell and, you know, and then, you know, it flips the other way. And then we ended up with it back again. And there are very few co-packers out there, truly. Mm -hmm. um, Lee from Preserve Farms, I mean, you know, I know she probably struggles to get people, you know, enough people to keep her going and, you know, and she's not inexpensive, which I think is another thing, you know, we look at food as, um, you know, as $12, $16 for a jar of jam, is that too much money? But if people really knew what it takes every little step of the way, we would be, we should be paying more for really quality products, but it, it's, it's fascinating. People do not want to go into the co-packing business. I don't think they see that as a fun job, which well, makes sense to good food yes. awards. Do it yourself. Yeah. Um, I, couldn't agree more with what you said about the price of food. Um, and it's very, another cultural value, I think, that we have here in America that we might want to re-examine as a culture, um, which is that, like, cheaper is better, full stop. Right. Um, and even very twisted things that when you think about it, you realize it's not logical. Like, how come... Uh, $16 would be considered a very expensive jar of jam, even though let's say, you know, you could enjoy that, you know, four people could enjoy that at five meals and it could be the highlight you know, of the mm -hmm. breakfast versus $16 is very cheap for a bottle of wine that four people could in, not even enjoy very much. I mean, maybe that's a great wine that's cheap, but um, for one time, but like how come, 
you know, no one thinks twice to spend $30 on a bottle of wine you're bringing as a gift to someone's house. But if you bought half a pound of cheese, you know, if that cheese cost $40 a pound and you only spent $20, you'd think that was like crazy expensive. You wouldn't want to, you know, really buy that. It's ridiculous. Right. Or if you brought this little piece of cheese that costs $35 to the person, they'd be like, oh, is that what you brought me? <laughs> that right. tiny little piece of cheese? <laughs> but we are, we're backwards in a lot of our thinking. And, um, and it, it goes for the restaurant industry as well. I mean, we're at a really, and then if you think about like a strawberry, beautiful strawberry preserves, like how many strawberries did you really need yeah. to make this incredible strawberry flavor? in that jar yeah you know it was probably more than $12 worth I mean maybe not but it just seems like the perspective is off yeah and we talk about you know inequality in America and all the huge problems it creates Mm -hmm. but yet like the food industry is the biggest industry in the world has the most jobs worldwide you know farmers restaurant like all the different things that it comprises like if people would be willing to spend more on food Mm -hmm. and obviously not some people can't but not a hundred percent of the income range is in a position that they can't spend more probably 25 percent is a position they could spend more um and if just that 25 percent started to be a willingness to spend more like the the wage structure in food production could be higher. And that's gonna affect so many people because it's the biggest industry in the world. And, um, you know, so many things that a lot of people are concerned about for good reason could be fixed. Um, If there was, you know, an openness to paying the true value of what, you know, it costs to pay people a living wage and, you know, not pollute and all the other good things about, you know, good food. It's like the most simple, elegant solution yeah 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 it's it's and when we talk to farmers too sandra it's like it's like they're barely making it there and they're having to do like preserves so that when they're not going to the farmer's market in the winter time that they've got something to get them through until spring um and it's it's such a shame that economy of scale that in order to make money you've got to produce more and more so that it becomes cheaper to produce. I mean, even like Laura Chanel, I'm sure that was, she's like, I don't want to buy another 800 goats. I I've named the ones that I have. I'm not (laughs) going to go buy 800 more. I can't keep track of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else take over this problem. I'm just want to play with my goats. (laughs) So I watched a movie this week. um, Kiss the ground. Have you heard of it? Did you get to see it yet? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it yet. I I thought, I, I personally thought it was wonderful. I watched it twice back to back. And then I started watching it again. And obviously I have so much time doing nothing. <laughs> I can watch movies three and four times. But I thought it was fabulous about, you know, obviously climate change and um, a lot about regenerative farming and things like that. And it was interesting because I really walked away hopeful, thinking that there are solutions. Um, I thought the film was really well done. And then I was on Twitter, and I guess the other film is Gather. 
which is recently out. And I think it's about indigenous people and the origins of farming and things like that. And somebody there just blasted this movie. I think the filmmaker was just like, this is like the worst film. He didn't name the film, but it was easy to tell what he was talking about. But I was like, wow. And there was a lot of anger, like everybody was white in the movie. And, you know, there wasn't this equity and, you know, all these things. And it was really fascinating for me because I looked at it and I learned something. I wasn't thinking about black and white. I wasn't thinking about, you know, I was just thinking about the world. And then when I saw this, it was just like, oh my God, now I have to stop thinking about the world and start thinking about the equity in the world. And it does go, and I don't know, this is so off our topic today, but it, it is food and it is about equality and it's just, well, I guess it's part anyway. I'm rambling, Brian. Sandra, what was the what was the first movie that you said? Kiss the it ground. It was called Kiss the Ground. And what? Like Kiss the ground I walk on, and oh. it was really about farming. It was about what is happening to the soil and why, how what we've done to the soil has affect climate change. And so, um, you know, not composting and not getting the carbon and you know all of those things and um even how more people are becoming plant-based but there's like there is room for cattle we need the cattle we need the cattle manure we need all of these things to be regenerating we need to stop tilling but i mean it was really fascinating i mean it was well done i don't think it was like a you know super super millionaire movie but it was um i mean woody harrelson was narrating it so i think he was pretty committed but it, it just, I mean, I felt like I learned so much and I heard a different perspective about farming. And then this other movie, which is out this year called Gather, it is really also about, I, and I haven't seen that, I need to rent it this weekend, but about, you know, food that we're losing food or about slaves that, you know, were in farming and, you know, land that was taken away and you know all of these things and it does become really one big ball of yarn on so many levels everything is intertwined yeah but well anytime just, you're talking about food it's that's the one connecting thing yeah. amongst everyone on the planet right mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. are these are, are the, is this on uh, netflix that you were watching the um Kiss the Ground is on Netflix, and I okay. think Gather, you could probably rent on Amazon or iTunes or somewhere. Okay. Yeah. And then, but, Sarah, are you going to have a category for um, what? for uh, meat that's not meat? I don't even know how to explain it. What oh. is <laughs> Fake charcuterie. <laughs> or, or even, you know, Impossible Burger kind of stuff. Um, well, I would <laughs> say... <laughs> I would say there is a lot of protein that's not meat, such as hummus. We, we mix them. You know, I, I really believe, I know it's a, a big trend, uh, and I'm sure it's good for some people, you know, to help them eat less meat. But I really believe, like, there are so many cuisines that use meat more as a... Um, a flavoring agent and not the main thing or not at all that are so vibrant and so flavorful and so amazing um, that I 
hope that there's attention, you know, more attention kind of on those as alternatives. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel that the much of the, the new sort of like meat that's not meat that's coming out is owned by corporations. And like setting aside the question of like, is, you know, is it safe and how is it made? And okay, if it's made from soy or corn or whatever, is that really what we want to be promoting? You know, then like more that to get really big and more monoculture of that or whatever. Like there's just to me the question of like, who do I want to be supporting with my food budget? And I want to be supporting small makers um, because that builds the society that I want to live in. And I want the food system to be in the hands of small makers. Um, so, you know, I, you know, on a personal level, like some of it kind of intrigues me and I think it's fascinating. Um, but I, uh, but you don't want to have a, a burger that's, that was made by someone in their garage. <laughs> some, <laughs> they're tinkering with their little chemistry set and they're like, Sarah, check it out. We have this new not meat meat. And you're like, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I have some not meat meat too. It's called a vegetable. Like, <laughs> I know. Well, we have we have interviewed quite a few people that um, are alternative-based um, products, and you know, I mean, it's fascinating. It's fascinating the rhymes and reasons, you know, why some people do what they want to do, and there's certainly room for everybody, you know, to do their thing. And I agree. You know, people should support with their dollars. Um, you know what resonates with their you know heart. And their heartstrings and and their things about what feels right in the world you know yeah yeah, yeah. so what is next for you miss sarah <laughs> well <laughs> um it's in the early phases but we're we're working with alice waters and slow food international to um think of something really, really big way to celebrate the Chez Panisse 50th anniversary next oh, year. Oh, wow. Fabulous. Yeah, so stay tuned for oh that. Oh, my God. And, yeah. um, of That's course, insane. I know. Can you believe 50 years? No, I can't. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Actually, I remember when they were doing, they did their 40th. Uh -huh. um, I think our friend Philip worked that party. <laughs> uh -huh. That's so funny. Wow. Wow. We ran into her. We were in France and we were at um, one of my very, very favorite restaurants, the Comptoir. Um, we were there and Alice was there, which I think she introduced as her assistant or her old assistant, a gentleman. And um, she had given John his good food award i think bruce adele but he had his pictures with i have a picture of him with alice we were so impressed we were like here's my autograph book will you sign it but it was very cute we did say hi to her in paris and it was just like how random to be like on the other side of the world at the same exact time at the same restaurant when there's like a million trillion places to be and uh it was just it was really quirky and wow yeah I know I miss all these places. I miss Bologna and I miss, oh my God. And so when you were in Italy, this is my last question because they know we're going crazy, but did you, have you been to the, the um, Italy University 
like didn't they make it huge Italy in Bologna like that was schools and classes and huh. I yeah. have not been to that one I've been to the one in Turin but this sounds very fascinating <laughs> oh I know I need to go there it's like this agriturista but classes and events and I'll have to find it and send you a link but it looked really cool yeah thank you oh god i know i just can't wait i'm gonna eat a piece of really good cheese with some really good jam <laughs> some really so when are the awards coming out now uh january 22nd i believe that will be announced this okay, year so not not very long believe it or not we're almost at the end yeah. of the year isn't this crazy mm -hmm. so crazy <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait for this year do, to be over. Yeah. How do people keep a hold? How do they follow along? Or how do they, if they have a food, how do they get involved? Great question. Well, you can um, subscribe to our monthly newsletter at goodfoodfdn.org. That's our website. And you can click to sign up for that. And then you'll get the announcement when the finalists come out and the announcement of, you know, when we have our Good Food Awards pop-up e-marketplace. Um, and for food producers, um, they just, can just join send it to Sarah's house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In You're not going to have to shop for the rest of the winter. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best. That's the best way to get involved. But you could also also at goodfoodfdn.org. You could join the Good Food Guild, get involved in the Good Food Mercantile trade shows, which we're doing virtually now. Um, and every July, July is the entry month. Um, that's also where you'll find on our website uh, kind of how to enter. Very cool. Nice. All right. Well, I'm an anxiously anticipating the winners. I'm going to have to get on this list so I can see um, when that comes out in January. Sarah, thank you so much. So fun. Grazie. <laughs> Grazie mille. Grazie mille. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You got to use the hands when you're doing it. Sorry, those of you that are only listening. <laughs> All right. You guys, if you want to check out some of our past episodes, go to thebikegoeson.com. Leave us um, a review on any platform that you're um, listening or downloading the podcast on. We'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us and uh, drop us a line. Let us know what you'd like to hear about or who you'd like to see on the show. We. Hope you all have a good week. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Sandra, thank you. We'll see you uh, again. Thanks, Sarah, thank you Thanks, so much. Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you.